From Nashville, Tennessee, Southwestern Family of Companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, we share insights and inspiration for movers and shakers in the world of business. Our goal is to help you increase your self-discipline, overcome procrastination, and help you to take action on all the things that really matter. How do you hire good people? And perhaps more importantly, how do you keep good people when you find good people to be a part of your team? That is really the theme of today's episode. We are about to hear from someone who is one of the leaders in the world of uh, a very specific type of executive search. And um, just, I, I, it's always fascinating to me to talk to people that are in search because they're constantly, you know, every day they're living in the world of people transitioning jobs. And so they, they know a lot about why people are leaving and why they stay and why they, uh, what, what are the things that keep people loyal to companies. And so we're talking about culture. How do you create a healthy workplace culture that keeps good people and attracts good people and it's just really, really awesome and it's valuable, right? If you're a leader of any kind, it's all about people. And I think what is leadership other than the art of creating amazing environments for other people and, you know, places where people can thrive and they can grow and they can love what they are doing. So, it's a fantastic episode. After the interview, one of the things that I did was I, I went back and I thought about these, how does Southwestern Consulting specifically, how do we apply some of these things to our interview process and our selection process? And I list out for you these sort of seven tests that candidates have to pass before they can join our team and and become a part of our specific movement. And these have been developed through a variety of, of different places and ways over the years and influenced by a number of our team members and our corporate philosophies, et cetera. But anyways, this is sort of where we have landed, these sort of seven checkpoints that I think people have to unconsciously clear. They're like, you know, gates that they have to pass before they ever get a chance to join our team. And so I thought it would be handy to share that list with you, maybe that you would get something about it or something out of it for yourself and for your team. If nothing else, you might find it sort of fascinating, interesting what other other people are doing. So it's a great episode like everything, we hope it impact, impacts your life and improves your life and improves your business. And we'll get started just after this new special message. This episode is sponsored by Southwestern Coaching. Southwestern Coaching has helped over 11,000 people increase their incomes by over 25% on average. As a successful salesperson, you know the importance of increasing your sales. But sometimes you might just need a little extra push and accountability to meet your goals and grow your business. Southwestern Coaching will help you increase your income through one-on-one -on -one sales and leadership coaching tailored specifically to your needs. Together, we will elevate sales. To schedule your free one-on-one -on -one business action planning session with a Southwestern Coach, go to www.southwesternconsulting.com forward slash action catalyst. My guest that we have for you today, I'm super excited about. I actually met this person as a vendor, not a vendor to Southwestern Consulting, but 
uh, as a vendor from the church that I'm a part of. And this man, uh, his business, his firm specializes in pastoral searches. So it's an executive search firm that specifically works with churches, uh, many of the really large, well-known churches and small churches. But he's like the guy in the space and his team. And and Crosspoint went through a pastor transition a couple years ago. And so I got to meet William Vanderblumen. And he was a pastor himself also. He was a senior pastor for First Presbyterian Church of Houston when he was just 31 years old. They had about 5,000 attendees, 1,500 kids. And um, his company, Vanderblumen Search Group, wins all these crazy awards. They were like number 23 best search firm uh, in the country, number three best, uh, third best place to work in Houston. He writes for Forbes. Uh, he has a weekly column there. He's got a couple books that are out that were really on pastoral search. But, uh, you know, so we've known each other for a while. And um, he's also got uh, degrees from Wake Forest, a Princeton from Theological Seminary. I mean, just a total awesome guy, mover and shaker, you know, man of faith in God. And I just, I just really love this guy the first time I met him and his new book is just coming out and it is a mainstream book. So it's, it's not specifically, um, you know, it's a secular book technically. Um, it's called culture wins the roadmap to an irresistible workplace, which I love, love, love the title. And I love again, that he's a practitioner He's doing it, not just a teacher, and um, he's making a big, big difference in his team in the whole spiritual community. And as a as a happy customer of his, it was a, a no brainer when I found out that his literary agent is now the same as our literary agent, and they reached out to us. So, William, welcome to the show. Wow, that I hope people don't believe everything you just said. That was awesome. <laughs> Great to be with you, man. Yeah. So you know. It's it's really unique because many of the people that come on the show, I mean, we have some of our clients come on the show. And so some of them are, you know, we get to experience their clients of ours and we are clients of theirs more at Southwestern Consulting. But a lot of the guests, the thought leaders and authors, you know, I know them from sharing the stage or whatever, but it's very rare that I've experienced what they do. And uh, this was not through my affiliation with Southwestern Consulting, but just being a part of Crosspoint Church, going through the, the the pastoral search, and you leading us through what you know is a is a is a is a an uncertain time. Let's just say when you're looking for a new pastor, and you were incredible, your team was incredible. Uh, you helped us find a great pastor, and so the fact that you are writing a book about cultures and retention is is just is just really great. So here's here's my first question. So in terms of creating an irresistible workplace, why do people leave? Like if you have to boil it down, what causes people to leave? Sure, sure. Well, so we did a whole lot of research for this uh, book. We did, we took time to say, hey, uh, we've won a lot of awards for a great place to work. And uh, that led people to say, can you write about this? Forbes asked us to write about this. And then we said, uh, well, we can tell our story about how we built a culture. We actually had to reverse engineer it. We were like, how did we do that? And uh, so we, we stepped back and we said, I guess we did this and this and this. And we sort of intuitively fell into what we've got. But uh, we, we said, you know, what other books are out there? And so I went to uh, look at what culture books are. There's a lot of good books. Uh, Amazon's got a good book out. Uh, Zappos has a good book out. Uh, Google has a good book out. 
the Ritz Carlton has a good book out, but every one of those books sure. was the story of that individual company and how they built a great workplace. So yeah. we said, let's not just tell our story. Let's get up underneath the hood of all the great cultures we can find. So I took a stack of magazines that were award-winning lists of award-winning companies for culture, handed them to a young employee at our firm and said, go find the email addresses of all these CEOs and get me at least a hundred phone appointments so that we can sure. study. And, and they did. And what we uncovered were some best practices. So getting back to your question, what we also uncovered, there are lots of studies on the internet, which are all true if they're on the internet, right? Of course. Uh -huh. and, and, and the baseline, like the most common answer to how many people in America like their job, the, the most common answer is two out of three Americans hate their job. Oh, man. Not modestly dislike, not, oh, I can't wait till hump day's over or I need some more time off. Hate their job. And sort of like, what in the world is causing that? And, and we found a few common answers. First of all, people don't leave jobs. They leave managers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, turnover is usually a problem with management and not a problem with we don't have enough ping pong tables or whatever the thing is for culture. Uh, the second thing we found was people leave their job because they don't know what their job is. Uh, if, if People say, I don't know what I'm supposed to get done. And, and then the third thing we found is people leave their jobs because once they do know what they're supposed to get done, they aren't equipped with the tools or resources to actually go get it done. So, you know, people sit around like, I don't know what success is. And then if it finally gets defined, I can't get there. And I don't like my manager. So I hate my job. Now, a fourth reason you're, you're uh, I think, still a millennial. Are we gonna, can we count that? Does that work? I mean, technically, I am a millennial, which sort of shocked me. I'm, I'm, I'm just under the mark by a couple of years. Right. So like 71% of our office is, is just right there at the mark or younger. And what I'm learning about millennials, because I'm not one, is, uh, and this is this fourth reason why people leave a job, is if there's no why behind the what, I'm out. There's got to be a cause behind the what we're doing. You know, the Simon Sinek talk that's been seen 18 bajillion times now. Like, sure. Start with why. That whole why behind the what is a big deal. And I think while that's the fourth place answer right now, I bet in 10 years it's number one because that millennial generation is starting to dominate the workforce just by sheer numbers. So you, I think you're going to see an even bigger shift. So the answer to your question is people leave managers, not jobs. But I think within 10 years, it's going to be people will leave if you don't have a cause for what you're doing. Yeah, those are, that's, a, that's a big insight because when we think of culture, it's like we say corporate culture. What's the corporate culture? As it, It's like the culture belongs to this entity that is company. But it's really like, it's really the, the leadership, the culture of the leader. It's the culture of that person who is your boss or who is your manager. And I think that's a, that's an, at least for me, that's something that's scary and insightful and important to go. It's not the company culture. It's the culture that I create for the people that I am, you know, serving and leading and, 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 and doing that. So, do you, are, are, are people job hopping more? I mean, is that a real thing or is that just kind of a myth that like, you know, millennials are job hopping or everyone's just interested in stepping stones. Nobody, nobody wants to stay at a career job forever. Is that true? Are people really job hopping much more than they used to? 
Totally. And not just job hopping, career hopping. And you're talking about a generation and you can blame me and say those millennials, uh, or you can drop back and say, well, why is that? So, you know, the generation before where you do 35 years at Ford and you retire with the gold watch and all that, that's the generation that grew up um, with radio. And then by later in their career, they had three TV stations to choose from. Uh Now, think about your life. Think about somebody 10 years younger than their life. You know, when I talk to older groups, I, I often say, I'm old enough, I'm mid 40s, that for me, my favorite part of the week when I was a kid was Saturday morning. And the younger part of the room looks at me like, what in the world are you talking about? And the older part of the room just nods. And I right. say, do you know why? And all the older people say, cartoons. The cartoons were on, right? You look at a millennial and say, when are the cartoons on? They're like, what are you talking about? I just watch what I want. I get it on demand. I watch it on YouTube. I watch it where. So, You've, you've got a generation that's grown up in a world of infinite options. So why wouldn't they see their career as a span of years full of infinite options? It's mm-hmm. just natural. So I think you will see not just job hopping, but career hopping. And that's where I found, you know, as we studied what makes a great culture and who's sinking money into it and why are they spending money on it? When I interviewed CEOs, I got a lot of different answers about why I spend money on culture. But the number one answer that every one of them answered was retention. The money I spend on culture always pays for itself because people stay longer than they would have otherwise. Maybe that means they stay eight years instead of four, not 35 with a gold watch. But but when you start running the numbers of what it costs to replace people and the momentum that's lost... Retention is the ball game for the future of the American workplace. What are some of the numbers? Like uh, in terms of dollars and cents, I just like, is there, a, is there an average number that you, you can use? Like we have a lot of listeners that have maybe small businesses. Some people work in sure. big corporations and you go, okay, if you start thinking about how much time it takes you to interview somebody and you, know, you pay money to post the job ad or have a search firm and you're sorting through resumes and right. what's the cost? Well, I, you, I mean, you can justify anything you want. You can find a study on the internet that'll give you any number you want. But, but we try to read a whole lot and then boil it down to a transferable principle. And what, what we found is just for round numbers sake, a $100,000 employee, which is a, a high level employee, sure. if they leave and we'll not, we'll not even factor in, is it a good leave or a bad leave? Is it you know, a $100,000 employee leaving will probably cost you a quarter million dollars. And that's hard and soft costs all wrapped together. And so it's, and it's going to happen. I mean, turnover happens and turnover isn't always bad. You're in a fast growing organization. You've probably got people that were great when you had 40 employees, but when we got to a hundred, they couldn't, they couldn't hang. And that's not their fault, different. but it's just different. It's a different company. But, but if you can mitigate the amount and frequency of turnover, especially unnecessary turnover, then your ROI goes up. I, I talked to one CEO of a software company uh, he's up in New York City, and they have a very particular software solution that they sell. There are three companies that all sell the same type of solution, right? And all three of them sell it at the same price. They sell to the same market. There's no product okay. differentiation. And, and he's a $20 million company. And he said last year he spent roughly $2 million on culture. I'm like, what? Wow. Why in the world? He said, well, because my EBITDA was... What did he t- his EBITDA was 60 some percent higher than his competitors. 
I said, what do you mean your earnings is is better than your competitor? You got the same price point, same solution. Say, did you do more sales? No, nope. same revenue. He said, in our industry, we're notorious for churning through people. The average churn rate is about 38%. And I've got my churn rate down to one and a half percent. So if you think, he said, I've got 200 people, 38% means 76 people would leave me normally every year. And my other two competitors, they lose 76 people every year. What are you going to charge me, William, to do 76 searches? What have I got to do to train 76 new employees? How much momentum do I lose and morale that drops when these people are walking out the door? I spend $2 million. People love working here. I fly my whole team to a big retreat. I spend money on things my competitors don't. My people stay. And the fact that they stay makes us more profitable, even though we're not charging one penny more and not selling one widget more. So what really makes them stay? I mean, uh, you, you kind of said, why do people leave? Is it just the inverse of why they leave? Is that why they stay? Is it, or is it different? I, I think a lot of it is the inverse. You get people who actually want to be at work. And I think when you, you say, you know, the culture doesn't belong to a corporate entity, it belongs to a person. The companies that I studied that got serious about defining what their cultural values were started hiring around those cultural values. So that, and, and I put it this way, you know, everybody's crazy. And if you haven't figured that out, then, <laughs> you know, you will. Uh, so it's not finding people who aren't crazy to work for you. It's finding people who are the same kind of crazy as you, that you enjoy being. And when you start hiring where you've got a tribe of people that are similar, well, then, yeah, you're going to have personality clashes because people are broken and that's just the way the world is. But at least you're in the same tribe and, and the manager is not insufferable. So, I, frankly, most cultural problems are really a hiring problem. And I think that companies that have gotten it right, the ones that have gotten it right, frankly, are mostly newer companies because they've been able to build from the ground up. You know, a company two, three, you know, generations deep or a couple hundred years old, the culture is pretty hard to turn on a dime. And if you've got a real problem, it, it, it takes a long, long time. Uh, yeah. But the other, the other interesting thing about uh, why people stay, you talk about millennials job hopping. Uh, Barna, you know this group, Barna? They, I don't. Uh, they're, like a, they're like George Gallup, but with a faith bent. Like they, they're a polling and surveying group, okay? Okay. Uh, pretty well known. And, and they asked a question of people born in different decades. Here's the question. Pretend you're a young adult, 22 years old. What do you want to have accomplished by the time you're 35? Great question, right? So every deck, every group that answered except millennials had almost identical, the same top five answers. Here's what they wanted to get done. They wanted to, by the time they're 35, they want to get married, start a family, own a home, be on a secure job track and have some financial peace. Okay. Millennials, of those top five answers, how many of them hit their top five? Yeah. One, just one, financial peace. So what does that mean for the workplace and for culture? What that means is- People aren't gonna be dating on the job as much. That's right. It means, <laughs> it means that. It means you're hiring people who probably aren't near their family, probably don't have a family to go home to, probably haven't locked into a career yet, and probably see their workplace as the closest thing they're going to have to a family, right? Yeah. And so if you find a workplace that's just 
frankly, hell-bent on building a culture where that family can feel like they're more connected than just their work and connected through a cause and connected through a cultural code, well, then people are going to stay and they'll put up with highs and lows economically a lot better. And they'll put up with rising health care costs and all those things a lot better if they, this is my family. I don't have a wife and kids to go, this is it. And it's a cause I believe in and, and a well-defined culture. And the people here are somewhat like me in terms of belief and how we function. And uh, I, the companies that I studied that got that right have very few turnover issues. Yeah, that's a fascinating. It is just fascinating to see the differences and what they want and the path sort of the, the path, I guess, really, that, they're, that they are on. So um, getting into the practical here a little bit as you go, okay, I think understanding the psychographic landscape of what is causing people to leave, what's causing them to stay, even at, you know, sort of a generational trends and mindset is, is interesting. When you get down to the practical of how to keep people, okay, so how do we how do we actually keep people? How do we, um, you know, create retention? Is it, you know, it's like you hear of, you hear about ping pong tables and you hear about working from home and flex schedule and results only work environment. And you hear about, uh, you know, gosh, we bring in a yoga instructor and, and we have, we have healthier food vending machines. Which of those things actually make a difference and which of them are like, eh, you know, it's like a nice to have, but not a must have. I think it all depends on uh, what's the old advice. Uh, I forget which Greek philosopher it was. His, his best advice was know yourself. And I think if a company will take time to drop back and know themselves and then build all those bells and whistles around that, uh, then that, that will make a difference And here. So I'm guessing that a lot of your listeners have businesses that already have what they call core values. Okay. Uh, it, it, nearly every company you study, oh, we have core values. But are they cultural values? And when you say cultural, uh, you know, you think, uh, what, what is a culture? And lots of definitions are out there. But, but one that I found that was great was from a Texas A&M professor. And if you know Texas A&M at all, you know that the student body there is the biggest cult in the world. Uh-huh. Uh, they, uh, they're weird, man. I don't know how they've ever lost a home football game. My son went there and we weren't involved with this university ever before. He parachuted into the Corps of Cadets and graduated second in command. So whatever Kool-Aid they serve, he drank all of it. And he'll meet an Aggie from, you know, 20, 30 years behind him. And all of a sudden they're doing secret handshakes and saying jokes and all these things. And, and that's culture. It's the traditions and symbols and behaviors that are passed along from one generation to the next without thinking about it. And, and if a company can, can get a hold of those customs and traditions and behaviors and what is it that, that we do that's good and then build the ping pong table and the vending machine and the yoga instructor, all that around that, well, then that is a win. And, and here's a really practical question to ask if you're saying we do have core values, but they're not cultural values. They don't describe how we behave. They don't describe our customs. They just say things like excellence. I'm so tired of excellence being a core value. I want to find a company that says, you know, mediocrity is really what we're after. (laughs) (laughs) But, But like, a cultural value is more how do we behave? It's the how we get our work done. And, and the question that a company can ask all of its employees to start the conversation is this. You can say, look, 
when we are functioning at our very, very best, what do we do as a team that's common to us, but uncommon to other teams we see around us? Because there's some quirkiness Mm -hmm. that you guys share when you're at your best. For us, it's like responding with almost dysfunctional speed. Like, don't you have a life? Why are you getting back to me so fast? Don't you you have a fa- That's that's our deal. And it's been a signature for us. And we didn't even realize it. We went through this exercise. When we're functioning at our best, what do we do as a team that's common to us, that's uncommon to others? And, And long story short, through the process of building cultural values, we named it as ridiculous responsiveness. That's our deal. And, uh, you know, we interview for it. We, we do sneaky bad stuff during interviews to see if somebody's got the same dysfunction we do, if they're really ridiculously responsive. If they are, they're going to fit. If they're not, they're probably a great employee for somebody else. Hmm. Yeah, that's, that is, I think that's cool. The idea of saying, Hey, let's build it into our interview. Let's do that kind of a thing. So, um, I do have one more question for you before we go, where should people go if, if they want to kind of learn about culture wins and I love the subtitle, the roadmap to an irresistible workplace. I really think that's clear and strong and, and something that we all should care about. So what, uh, where would you point people? Well, first of all, I'd say it is a roadmap and we've tried to take our story and lay it against best practices of other companies to say, here are, are some great ways to find your way down the road, but it's not a cookie cutter. Don't copy us. You need to do your own process. And and hopefully that's what the book does. You can go to culturewins.org and find the book there. Uh, If you're really interested in other things about us, you can go to vanderblumen.com and it it just spell it just like that. Vanderblumen. Oh, (laughs) I'm kidding. It's, it's clear and obvious and easy to spell, and, and there's a lot of vowels. Well, you know what? We uh, bought probably 300 domain names when we started, and we hired an SEO consultant and said, which one of these? I don't want to name it after me. I don't need my name on a door. And he came back and he said, I got good news and bad news. I got the great website for you. You're not going to like it. It's so the bad news. He said, we need to use your last name. Your last name is so screwed up that you can misspell it 200 different ways into Google and it'll feed back to you. So we just went with that. So misspell it however you want, Vanderblumen, you'll, you'll find your way there or culturewins.org. Smart. I like it. I'm going to come up. I'm going to be spend the rest of my afternoon just trying creative ways to type your name to see if it works. <laughs> and be like, Hey, I found one for you. I got one. Um, all right, William. So the, uh, if, if somebody's out there listening, right, and they're going, okay, okay, culture, yeah, I've heard about it, and eh, maybe we could do, a, maybe we could do a little bit, be a little more intentional around the traditions, symbols, and behaviors that we're passing on and rallying around. But it's a lot, right? It's like, okay, do do I have to, you know, write our? Do I have to get a painter and come paint our values on the walls? Do I have to change the way I pay people? Do I have to change the interview questions? Do I like? What's the, what's the first thing that we first step. do? The first yeah. step, like, okay, I want to, I yeah. want to do something significant to, to, you know, start moving in this direction. That's a great question. We tried to answer that while we were writing the book. Uh, there, there are really two layers to culture. The first thing you have to ask yourself is, is this a healthy place to work? If it's toxic, that's a whole different conversation than defining values. So right. to help people know, are we functioning well? We did some research and we found eight key areas of health or toxicity, and we built an online assessment. So if people go to theculturetool.com, 
They'll find a free online assessment. They can have their whole team take the test. We'll send you back a report that shows you how you measure up, what's your median score, where you need to work, what's better, what's worse, and how do you measure up against all the other businesses that have come and taken this test. So that's theculturetool.com. I love it. I love it. Well, we'll put links to both of those in the show notes. And uh, again, just as a satisfied customer and a friend, um, really appreciate it as a colleague. Thank you for sharing this as an interesting perspective to have from somebody who has a full-time living of talking to people that are coming and going in and out of, of companies. So it's really, really fascinating. And uh, thanks for the work that you do specifically with, with churches. I think that is an important, important space in the world and a very specific niche that you guys do a great job of filling. Thanks so much, man. Appreciate you having me on. I have really grown to love this conversation about workplace culture over the last several years. Just studying it, a lot of our guests have talked about it, and I think about the legendary Spencer Hayes around the Southwestern family of companies, and you know, his he had several famous quotes and things, and he was our, our legendary majority shareholder and chairman of the board, and uh, it's it's just an amazing man who is, is basically... Uh, largely responsible for Southwestern and the Southwestern family of companies for being what it is today. But he used to always say this. He used to say, you don't build a business, you build people and people build the business. And when I think about workplace culture, to, to me, that's just the modern day term for building people. It's something that has been around for years and years and years, and that's how Spencer would have said it. And of course, he passed away last year, which was a big loss to all of us, but a, a celebration of an amazing life. And, and just if you're a leader, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're, heck, if you're a parent or if you're a spouse, you're leading people, then you are creating culture. You are protecting the environment. You're protecting the atmosphere in which life happens. And it's that simple. It doesn't mean you're the CEO of a huge public company. We all contribute to culture and culture is built and shaped by the people and so I love talking about it, and especially somebody like William, who, as I said, I got a chance to experience what he does as a customer by way of my involvement at our church. And they just did an incredible job, and we love our our our, our new senior pastor. His name's Kevin Queen, and it's just amazing. And and so to get to learn from people who are in the trenches of you know talking to people every day who are leaving jobs or going to jobs, and how do they do that is is really really fun. And so I realized that we hadn't spent much time talking about on this podcast our sort of philosophies about culture and what are the things that we do in terms of how we hire and what we do at Southwestern Consulting specifically. And I put some thought to that as I was listening to listening back to that interview with William. And these are seven tests that I realize that our team came up with at Southwestern Consulting that I think we do in our interviewing process. And we hired over 50 people last year. And we're growing really, really fast. And we we don't really say these tests out loud, although there's elements of this that I think anyone on our team would go, oh yeah, we do that, we do that. But just kind of analyzing our own philosophies, I thought, gosh, you know, this would be really actionable for you listening to think about these sort of seven checkpoints that we run people through. So here they are. Here are seven 
tests that we sort of put people through unofficially, but these are seven checkpoints that somebody has to pass before they get invited into the Southwestern consulting culture. And I didn't come up with these. This is what our team came up with over the years and what we do and what Southwestern does. This is just a list that I'm sort of naming maybe for the first time, um, again, as we, we think through it. So here they are. So number one is the passion test. The passion test. When before somebody gets invited into our culture and to be a part of our team, they have to be passionate about what we do and why we do it. And of course, what what we do is elevate sales. That's our tagline at Southwestern Consulting. We we both help companies increase their revenues, but also elevate the perception by which sales is done. But why we do it is because of our, our mission is to help people achieve their goals in life. And when we're interviewing people, we know very clearly that that is why we do what we do. And we are looking for people who are truly passionate about helping people achieve their goals in life, like truly, truly passionate about that. And so we look for them to light up and that is the passion test. All of these tests, by the way, none of them are pen to paper tests. These are more like questions or checkpoints, I think, that we all kind of do subconsciously. And the first one is passion test. And frankly, we meet a lot of people who are passionate about helping people achieve their goals in life. We get a lot of applicants to join our team. And um, a lot of people want to be consultants or coaches or speakers or authors and do the kind of things we do. So we find a lot of people who pass that first one, but it's an important one. And some people don't pass it. So um, and, and as we run through this list of seven, as always, I want to encourage you to think about your culture, right? Your business, your life, uh, your family. You don't get to choose <laughs> always so much, but um, what are your what are the ways that you could have these tests apply? So number one is the passion test. Number two is the practitioner test. And this is a huge one. If I had to say there was one that defines our team is we believe in being practitioners first and and then teachers, speakers, consultants, coaches, trainers, authors, whatever second. And that is a part of our values. You know, when William was saying you want to find people who are the same kind of crazy as you, that is in our creed is that we are practitioners first. And we love that. And because we teach sales, we take pride in being salespeople first and being active salespeople. We're not people who used to sell that are teaching what used to work 20 years ago. We're doing it every day. We're struggling the same way that our clients are struggling. You know, We battle call reluctance and distraction and objections, modern day objections, because we're doing it actively. And it's probably the thing that our team holds most sacred and dear, and it is, it's probably the single biggest litmus test of whether or not somebody gets invited to join our team and that we look for in the interview process. You know, they, this, to, to even apply to be one of our consultants or coaches, you have to have a minimum of 10 years of sales experience for, on a resume for us to even look at them joining our team. And uh, the one exception we sometimes make is if people worked in the Southwestern Advantage uh, 
you know, work program that many, about 60% of us did. But even there, they have to have multiple years and they have to be a proven top performer because we just drew a line in the sand and said, we are going to be practitioners. We're not going to be ivory tower types. We're, we're going to be in the field. When clients hire us, they should expect us to be able to, to listen to a sales call, go on a sales call and know a real word, world application what needs to change. So that's our practitioner test. So what's your practitioner test, right? What, what does that look like for you? Number three is the track record test. The track record test. When we're interviewing people, one of the things that we know, and, and Vince Lombardi said this, right, that winning is a habit. Winning is not a sometimes thing. Winning is an all the time thing. And so excellence is never an accident. Excellence is a habit. And because that is true, we know that history tends to repeat itself. So we do look not just at where people have worked, where they went to school. We don't, we're not just impressed at any of that stuff. And, and particularly, we actually don't pay much attention to where people went to college or even what, what company they worked at. But we look at how did they perform? Where did they rank in relation to their colleagues? Because we're looking for a track record that demonstrates excellence because we know if they were excellent at what they did before, they will probably be excellent here. They will find a way. So that's the track record test. The fourth of the seven tests is the vision test. The vision test. A lot of people look at our industry and again, I, I want you to be thinking about how this applies to you, but the only way I can share that is through the lens of being a practitioner of what we do at Southwestern Consulting, because this is, you know, I'm just sharing the experience here of, of our team, is a lot of people look at our business as consultants and coaches and speakers and authors, and they see the glamorous parts, right? They, they see, oh, here's a picture of somebody on stage in front of a thousand people, or oh, here's a picture of your book at the airport, or oh, here's a picture of you with a client who just, you know, paid off their mortgage and you changed their life, or here's one of our, our consulting clients and we're, we're doing a retreat and we're, we're with all these people in this great place or, or whatever. And it's easy for people to be attracted to those. And, and there are a lot of wonderful, glamorous parts about what we do. But that is true about anything, right? Any profession has glamorous parts. We don't want people who only are attracted to that. We want them, the people who are willing to pay the price of the short term. And our interview process, our selection process is very upfront and straightforward about how hard it is to 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 work here and to survive here. And and everyone on our team that is in a consultant, speaker, author, uh, coach capacity, they're 100% pay for performance. 100% pay for performance. And so we need to know people are committed to the long term because they don't pay to get trained by us. We basically go into business with them and we teach them everything that we know about this industry for free as part of a partnership for the long term. And we need to know they're not going to quit, that they're not going to just fold it, fold it in and that many of our team members get recruited actively by uh, even our clients or by our prospects because they go, wow, you guys are you know great salespeople. You're really good at what you do. And, and they get offered big salaries and we don't have salaries here. And so we need to know that when somebody comes to them and says, hey, I'll pay you 
$200,000 a year to come work at our company that even if they're making less than that with us and they're they're newer in their career that they're going to they're not going to be tempted so much by that because they're here for the long term they're here for the vision they passed the vision test and and the vision test is about long term and not short term and that is a huge part of creating culture because people are bought in number 5 is the customer centric test we look for people who are customer centric. We want people who are not self-centered, but customer centered. And this is an example, you know, in the restaurant space, uh, John DeJulius, one of our friends who teaches a customer service, we've had him on the show a couple times, talks about the milkshake test. He says, if you go to any restaurant, you'll know if the staff is well-trained by just asking them and say, hey, can I have a milkshake? Because 99% of them will say, no, I'm sorry, we don't have milkshakes on the menu. But a well-trained staff knows that they have ice, likely, they almost definitely have milk, and they most definitely have ice cream in just about all restaurants, and so you can make a milkshake, but just because it's not on the menu doesn't mean, you, you know, if, if you're only thinking about your, your normal standard offering, you'll say no, but if you think about how can I serve my customer, then you're going to say, absolutely, I can make a milkshake for you, no problem, and that is being customer-centric. That is hiring based on your, your values. Number six for us is is the friend test, the friend test. And this one, I I think of two of our business partners, Dave Brown and Dustin Hillis, most specifically, who from the very beginning stages of when we built this company, they just always were so intentional about that the people that came on our team, they had to be people that we were excited about hanging out with. They didn't necessarily need to be people that we would be best friends with, but because we do life together, they said, gosh, we want people who we enjoy their presence beyond their professional competence or their professional capability. We enjoy their presence. And so that's the friend test. And then the seventh one, and this is the last one, is the spouse test. The spouse test. Um, we we are a family at Southwestern Consulting, and this is something that we picked up from Dave Ramsey and their their crew, and it's a part of the Entree Leadership kind of you know practices. Is we do spousal interviews because you know what Dave says is you want to make sure they're not married to crazy. But for us, what we do is we just want to know the person, and we want to make sure their spouse has the vision test that their spouse is going to encourage them when they you know the the person on our team wants to quit and they're having a tough day because the spouse and the marriage is such an important part of somebody's ability to perform and so we just want to know them and we want to know who they are and we want to know their family so those are the seven tests that we use i think or seven of the tests that we unofficially use when people apply to be a part of our team and so maybe just think about what are your tests what are the things that you look for And hopefully that will help you create an amazing culture. Well, that about wraps up the Action Catalyst podcast for this week. If you haven't yet, please log in to whatever your favorite medium is to listen to the show and both rate this podcast and leave a comment as that helps new prospective listeners determine if the show's really a good fit for them. If you enjoy this podcast, please make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and screenshot this episode to share with your friends on social media. 
Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst and subscribe to our video podcast on YouTube. Thanks for listening.